Chapter Thirty Three, Part One, of *The Cloister and the Hearth* by Charles Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Denham. They met the landlord in the passage. Welcome, monsieur," said he, taking off his cap with a low bow. "Come, we are not in Germany," said Gerard. In the public room they found the mistress, a buxom woman of forty. She curtsied to them, and smiled right cordially. "'Give yourself the trouble of sitting ye down, fair sir,' said she to Gerard, and dusted two chairs with her apron. Not that they needed it. "'Thank you, dame,' said Gerard. "'Well,' thought he, "'this is a polite nation. The trouble of sitting down?' that will i with singular patience and presently the labour of eating also the toil of digestion and finally by hercules his aid the strain of going to bed and the struggle of sinking fast asleep why dinny what are you doing ordering supper for only two why not what we can sup without waiting for forty more burgundy forever aha courage camarade le diable c'est convenu the salic law seemed not to have penetrated to french inns in this one at least wimple and kirtle reigned supreme doublets and hose were few in number and feeble in act the landlord himself wandered objectless eternally taking off his cap to folk for want of thought, and the women, as they passed him in turn, thrust him quietly aside without looking at him, as we remove a live twig in bustling through a wood. A maid brought in supper, and the mistress followed her empty-handed. "'Fall to, my masters,' she said cheerily. "'You have but one enemy here, and he lies under your knife.' I shrewdly suspect this of formula. They fell to. The mistress drew her chair a little toward the table, and provided company as well as meat, gossiped genially with them like old acquaintances. But this form gone through, the busy dame was soon off, and sent in her daughter, a beautiful young woman of about twenty, who took the vacant seat. She was not quite so broad and genial as the elder, but gentle and cheerful, and showed a womanly tenderness for Gerard on learning the distance the poor boy had come, and had to go. She stayed nearly half an hour, and when she left them Gerard said, "'This is an inn? Why, it is like home!' "'Qui fit François, il fit courtois,' said Denis, bursting with gratified pride. "'Courteous!' nay christian to welcome us like home guests and old friends us vagrants here to-day and gone to-morrow but indeed who better merits pity and kindness than the worn traveller far from his folk hola here's another the newcomer was the chambermaid a woman of about twenty-five with a cocked nose a large laughing mouth and a sparkling black eye, and a bare arm very stout, but not very shapely. 
The moment she came in, one of the travellers passed a somewhat free jest on her. The next the whole company were roaring at his expense, so swiftly had her practised tongue done his business. Even as in a passage of arms between a novice and a master of fence, foils clash, novice pinked. On this another, and then another must break a lance with her. But Marion stuck her great arms upon her haunches, and held the whole room in play. This country girl possessed in perfection that rude and ready humour, which looks mean and vulgar on paper, but carries all before it spoken. Not wit's rapier, it's bludgeon. Nature had done much for her in this way, and daily practice in an inn the rest. Yet shall she not be photographed by me, but feebly indicated. For it was, just four hundred years ago, the raillery was coarse, she returned every stroke in kind, and though a virtuous woman, said things without winking, which no decent man of our day would say even among men. Gerard sat gaping with astonishment. This was to him almost a new variety of that interesting species, Homo. He whispered, Denis, now I see why you Frenchmen say a woman's tongue is her sword. Just then she levelled another assailant, and the chivalrous Denis to console and support the weaker vessel, the iron kettle among the clay pots, administered his consigne, courage, mamie, le, etc. She turned on him directly. How can he be dead as long as there is an archer left alive? General laughter at her ally's expense. It is washing day, my masters, said she with sudden gravity. Après, we travellers cannot strip and go bare while you wash our clothes, objected a peevish old fellow by the fireside, who had kept mum chance during the raillery, but crept out into the sunshine of commonplaces. I aimed not your way, ancient man, replied Marion superciliously, but since you ask me, here she scanned him slowly from head to foot, I trow you might take a turn in the tub, clothes and all, and no harm done. Laughter. But what I spoke for, I thought this young sire might like his beard starched. Poor Gerard's turn had come. His chin-crop was thin and silky. The loudest of all the laughers this time was the traitor Denis, whose beard was of a good length, and singularly stiff and bristly, so that Shakespeare, though he never saw him, hit him in the bull's-eye. Full of strange oaths, and bearded like the pard. As you like it. Gerard bore the Amazonian satire mighty calmly. He had little personal vanity. Nay, Chandrier, said he, with a smile, mine is all unworthy your pains. Take you this fair growth in hand, and he pointed to Denise vegetable. Oh, time for that when I starch the besoms. Whilst they were all shouting over this palpable hit, the mistress returned, and in no more time than it took her to cross the threshold did our Amazon turn to a seeming Madonna, meek and mild. 
Mistresses are wonderful subjugators. Their like, I think, breathes not on the globe. Housemaids decide. It was a waste of histrionic ability, though, for the landlady had heard, and did not at heart disapprove, the peals of laughter. "'Ah, Marion, lass,' she said good-humouredly, "'if you laid me an egg every time you cackle, les trois passants would never lack an omelette.' "'Now, dame,' said Gerard, "'what is to pay?' "'What for? Our supper. "'Where is the hurry? Cannot you be content to pay when you go? "'Lose the guest, find the money, is the rule of the three fish.' "'But, dame, outside the three fish, it is thus written, "'Ici on ne loge. Bah! Let that flea stick on the wall. Look hither!' and she pointed to the smoky ceiling, which was covered with hieroglyphics. These were accounts, vulgo scores, intelligible to this dame and her daughter, who wrote them at need by simply mounting a low stool and scratching with a knife so as to show lines of ceiling through the deposit of smoke. The dame explained that the writing on the wall was put there to frighten moneyless folk from the inn altogether, or to be acted on at odd times when a non-paying face should come in, and insist on being served. "'We can't refuse them plump, you know. The law forbids us.' "'And how know you mine is not such a face?' "'Out, fie! It is the best face that has entered the three fish this autumn.' "'And mine, dame?' said Denis. "'Dost see no knavery here?' She eyed him calmly. "'Not such a good one as the lads, nor ever will be, but tis the face of a true man. For all that,' added she dryly, "'and I were ten years younger, I'd as leave not meet that face on a dark night too far from home.' Gerard stared. Denis laughed. "'Why, damn, I would sip the night dew off the flower, and you needn't take ten years off nor ten days to be worth risking a scratched face for. "'There, our mistress,' said Marian, who had just come in, "'said I not t'other day you could make a fool of them still, and if you were properly minded.' "'I dare say you did. It sounds like some daft wench's speech.' "'Damn,' said Ger Gerard, "'this is wonderful.' "'What? Oh, no, no, that is no wonder at all. Why, I have been here all my life, and reading faces is the first thing a girl picks up in an inn.' "'Marion. And frying eggs the second. No, telling lies. Frying eggs is the third, though.' "'The mistress. And holding her tongue the last. And modesty the day after, never at all.' "'Marion. Alack, talk of my tongue.' But I say no more. She under whose wing I live now deals the blow. I'm sped. Tis but a chambermaid gone. Catch what's left on't. And she staggered and sank backwards onto the handsomest fellow in the room, which happened to be Gerard. Tick, tick, cried he peevishly. There, don't be stupid. That is too heavy a jest for me. See you not, I am talking to the mistress.' Marion resumed her elasticity with a grimace, made two little bounds into the middle of the floor, 
and there turned a pirouette. "'There, mistress,' said she, "'I give in. "'Tis you that reign supreme with the men, "'leastways with male children.' "'Young man,' said the mistress, "'this girl is not so stupid as her deportment. "'In reading of faces and frying of omelettes, "'there we are great. "'Twould be hard if we failed at these arts, "'since they are about all we do know.' "'You do not quite take me, dame,' said Gerard. "'That honesty in a face should shine forth to your experienced eye. "'That seems reasonable. "'But how, by looking on Denis here, could you learn his one little foible, "'his insanity, his miserable mulierosity?' "'Poor Gerard got angrier the more he thought of it. "'His mule is what?' crossing herself with superstitious awe at the polysyllable. "'Nay, tis but the word I was fain to invent for him.' "'Invent? What can a child like you make other words than grow in burgundy by nature? Take heed what ye do. Why, we are overrun with them already, especially bad ones. Lord, these be times. I look to hear of, of a new thistle invented next.' "'Well, then, dam, mulierose. That means wrapped up, body and soul, in women. So prithee tell me, how did you ever detect the noodle's mulierosity?' "'Alas, good youth, you make a mountain of a molehill. We that are women be notice-takers, and out of the tail of our eye see more than most men can, glaring through a prospect-glass.' Whilst I move to and fro, doing this and that, my glance is still on my guests, and I did notice that this soldier's eyes were never off the women-folk. My daughter, or Marian, or even an old woman like me, all was gold to him, and there I sat glowering. Oh, you foolish, foolish man! Now you still turn to the speaker, her or him, and that is common sense.' Denis burst into a hoarse laugh. "'You never were more out. Why, this silky, smooth-faced companion is a very Turk, all but his beard. He is, what do you call him, oser than e'er an archer in the Duke's bodyguard. He is more wrapped up in one single Dutch last called Margaret than I am in the whole bundle of ye, brown and fair.' "'Man alive, that is just the contrary.' said the hostess. "'Yon is the bane, and his'n the cure. Cling you still to Margaret, my dear. I hope she is an honest girl. Damn, she is an angel. Aye, aye, they are all that till better acquainted. I'd as leave have her no more than honest, and then she will serve to keep you out of worse company. As for you, soldier, there is trouble in store for you.' "'Your eyes were never made for the good of your soul.' "'Nor of his pouch, either,' said Marian, striking in. "'And his lips they will sip the dew, as he calls it, off many a bramble-bush.' "'Overmuch clack, Marian, overmuch clack.' "'Odds bodikins, mistress, ye didn't hire me to be one of your three fishes, did ye?' And Marian sulked thirty seconds. "'Is that the way to speak to our mistress?' remonstrated the landlord, who had slipped in. "'Hold your wished. 
said his wife sharply. "'It is not your business to check the girl. She is a good servant to you.' "'What, is the cock never to crow and the hens at it all day?' "'You can crow as loud as you like, my man. Out the doors. But the hen means to rule the roost.' "'I know a byword to that tune,' said Gerard. "'Do you now? Out with, then.' "'Femme veut en toute saison, estredame en sa maison.' "'I never heard it before, but tis as sooth as gospel. I they that set these byword's a-rolling had eyes and tongues, and tongues and eyes, before all the world give me an old saw. "'And me, a young husband,' said Marion. "'Now there was a chance for you all, and nobody spoke. Oh, it is too late now. I've changed my mind.' "'All the better for some poor fellow,' suggested Denis. And now the arrival of the young mistress, or, as she was called, the little mistress, was the signal for them all to draw round the fire like one happy family, travellers, host, hostess, and even servants in the outer ring, and tell stories till bedtime. And Gerard, in his turn, told a tremendous one out of his repertory. A manuscript collection of Acts of the Saints, and made them all shudder deliciously, but soon after began to nod. Exhausted by the effort, I should say. The young mistress saw, and gave Marion a look. She instantly lighted a rush, and laying her hand on Gerard's shoulder, invited him to follow her. She showed him a room where there were two nice white beds, and bade him choose. Either is paradise, said he. I'll take this one. Do you know I have not lain in a naked bed once since I left my home in Holland? Alack, poor soul, said she. Well, then, the sooner my flax and your down, he he, come together, the better. So, allons. And she held out her cheek as businesslike as if it had been her hand for a fee. Allons? What does that mean? It means good night. Ahem! What don't they salute the chambermaid in your part? Not all in a moment. What? Do they make a business on't? Nay, perverter of words, I mean, we make not so free with strange women. They must be strange women if they do not think you strange fools, then. Here is a coil. Why, all the old greasy greybeards that lie at our inn do kiss us chambermaids. Fah! And what have we poor wretches to set on t'other side, the compte but now and then, a nice young— Alack, time flies. Chambermaids can't be spared long in the nursery, so how's it to be? And please you arrange with my comrade for both. He is muley a rose. I am not. Nay, tis the curb he will want, not the spur. Well, well, you shall to bed without paying the usual toll, and oh, but tis sweet to fall in with a young man who can withstand these ancient ill customs, and gainsay brazen hussies, shall have thy reward. Thank you. But what are you doing with my bed? Me? 
"'Oh, only taking off these sheets and going to put on the pair the drunken miller slept in last night. "'Oh, no, no, you cruel, black-hearted thing! There, there!' "'A la bonne heure! What will not perseverance effect? But note now the frowardness of a mad wench. I cared not for to button. I am dead sick of that sport these five years, but you denied me, and so then forthwith I behoved to have it. Belike had gone through fire and water for it. Alas, young sir, we women are kittle-cattle. Poor perverse toads, excuse us, and keep us in our place, savoir, at arm's length. And so, good-night. At the door she turned and said, with a complete change of tone and manner, The Virgin guard thy head, and the holy evangelists watch the bed where lies a poor young wanderer far from home. Amen. And the next moment he heard her run tearing down the stairs, and soon a peal of laughter from the salle betrayed her whereabouts. "'Now that is a character,' said Gerard profoundly, and yawned over the discovery. In a very few minutes he was in a dry bath of cold, clean linen, inexpressibly refreshing to him after so long disuse. Then came a delicious glow, and then Sevenbergen. In the morning Gerard awoke infinitely refreshed, and was for rising, but found himself a close prisoner. His linen had vanished. Now this was paralysis, for the nightgown is a recent institution. In Gerard's century, and indeed long after, Men did not play fast and loose with clean sheets, when they could get them, but crept into them, clothed with their innocence like Adam. Out of bed they seemed to have taken most, after his eldest son. Gerard bewailed his captivity to Denis, but that instant the door opened, and in sailed Marion with their linen, newly washed and ironed on her two arms, and set it down on the table. "'Oh, you good girl!' cried Gerard. "'Alack, you have found me out at last. "'Yes, indeed, is this another custom?' "'Nay, not to take them unbidden, "'but at night we aye question travellers, "'are they for linen washed? "'So I came in to you, but you were both sound. "'Then I said to the little mistress, "'La, where is the sense of waking wearied men? "'Task them is Charles the Great dead?' "'And would they leave her carry foul linen or clean, "'especially this one with a skin like cream? "'And so he has, I declare,' said the young mistress. "'That was me,' remarked Denis, with the air of a commentator. "'Guess once more, and you'll hit the mark.' "'Notice him not, Marion. He is an impudent fellow, "'and I am sure we cannot be grateful enough for your goodness, "'and I am sorry I ever refused you. "'Anything you fancied you should like.' "'Oh, are ye there?' said Lespigle. "'I take that to mean you would fain brush the morning dew off, "'as your bashful companion calls it. "'Well, then, excuse me, tis customary, but not prudent. "'I decline. Quits with you, lad.' "'Stop, stop!' cried Denis, 
as she was making off victorious. "'I am curious to know how many of ye were here last night a-feasting your eyes on us, Twain.' "'Twas so satisfactory a feast as we weren't half a minute over it. "'Who? Why, the big mistress, the little mistress, Janet and me, "'and the whole posse comitatus on tiptoe. "'We mostly make our rounds the last thing, not to get burned down, "'and in prodigious numbers. "'Somehow that maketh us bolder, especially where archers lie scattered about. "'Why did you not tell me? I'd have lain awake.' Bo sire, the saying goes that the good and the ill are all one while their lids are closed. So we said, Here is one who will serve God best asleep. Break not his rest. She is funny, said Gerard dictatorially. I must be either that or knavish. How so? Because the three fish pay me to be funny. You will eat before you part. Good. "'Then I'll go see the meat be fit for such worshipful teeth. "'Denny, what is your will? "'I wish that was a great boy, "'and going along with us to keep us cheery. "'So do not I, "'but I wish it was going along with us as it is. "'Now heaven forfend a fine fool you would make of yourself.' "'They broke their fast.' settled their score, and said farewell. Then it was they found that Marian had not exaggerated the custom of the country. The three principal women took and kissed them right heartily, and they kissed the three principal women. The landlord took and kissed them, and they kissed the landlord, and the cry was, "'Come back the sooner the better!' "'Never pass the three fish, should your purses be void,' "'Bring yourselves. Le Sieur Crédit is not dead for you.' And they took the road again. They came to a little town, and Denis went to buy shoes. The shopkeeper was in the doorway, but wide awake. He received Denis with a bow down to the ground. The customer was soon fitted, and followed to the street and dismissed with graceful salutes from the doorstep. The friends agreed it was Elysium to deal with such a shoemaker as this. "'Not but what my German shoes have lasted well enough,' said Gerard the Just. Outside the town was a pebbled walk. "'This is to keep the burghers' feet dry, a walking of Sundays with their wives and daughters,' said Denis. These simple words of Denis— one stroke of a careless tongue painted home in Gerard's heart. "'Oh, how sweet!' said he. "'Mercy, what is this? A gibbet, and, ugh, two skeletons thereon! Oh, Denis, what a sorry sight to woo by!' "'Nay,' said Denis, "'a comfortable sight. For every rogue of the air there is one the less afoot.' A little farther on they came to two pillars, and between these was a huge wheel closely studded with iron prongs, and entangled in these were bones and fragments of cloth miserably dispersed over the wheel. Gerard hid his face in his hands. 
Oh, to think those patches and bones are all that is left of a man, of one who was what we are now. Excusez, a thing that went on two legs and stole, are we no more than that? How do you know he stole? Have true men never suffered death and torture too? None of my kith ever found their way to the gibbet, I know. The better thy luck, prithee, how died the saints? Hard, but not in Burgundy. Ye massacred them wholesale at Lyon, and that is on Burgundy's threshold. To you the gibbet proves the crime, because you read not story. Alas, had you stood on Calvary that bloody day we sigh for to this hour, I tremble to think you had perhaps shouted for joy at the gibbet builded there, for the cross was but the Roman gallows, Father Martin says. The blaspheming old hound! Oh, fie, fie, a holy and a book-learned man! Ay, Denny, you had read them that suffered there by the bare light of the gibbet, "'Drive in the nails!' you had cried. "'Drive in the spear! Here be three malefactors, three roués. Yet of those three little ones was the first Christian saint, and another was the saviour of the world which gibbeted him.' Denis assured him, on his honour, they managed things better in Burgundy. He added, too, after profound reflection, that the horrors Gerard had alluded to, had more than once made him curse and swear with rage when told by the good curé in his native village at Eastertide. But they chanced in an outlandish nation, and near a thousand years agone. Mort de ma vie! Let us hope it is not true, or at least so exaggerated, do but see how all tales gather as they roll. Then he reflected again, and all in a moment turned red with ire. Do ye not blush to play with your book-craft on your unlettered friend, and throw dust in his eyes, evening the saints with these reptiles? Then suddenly he recovered his good humour. Since your heart beats for vermin, Feel for the carrion crows. They be as good vermin as these. Would ye send them to bed supperless, poor pretty poppets? Why, these be their larder. The pangs of hunger would gnaw them dead, but for cold cut-purse hung up here and there. Gerard, who had for some time maintained a dead silence, informed him the subject was closed between them, and for ever. There are things, said he, in which our hearts seem wide as the poles asunder, and eke our heads. But I love thee dearly all the same, he added, with infinite grace and tenderness. Towards afternoon they heard a faint wailing noise on ahead. It grew distincter as they proceeded. Being fast walkers, they soon came up with its cause a score of pikemen, accompanied by several constables, were marching along, and in advance of them was a herd of animals they were driving. These creatures, in number rather more than a hundred, were of various ages, only very few were downright old, 
The males were downcast and silent. It was the females from whom all the outcry came. In other words, the animals thus driven along at the law's point were men and women. "'Good heaven!' cried Gerard. "'What a band of them! But stay, surely all those children cannot be thieves!' "'Why, there are some in arms! What on earth is this, Denis?' Denis advised him to ask that bourgeois with the badge. "'This is Burgundy. Here a civil question ever draws a civil reply.' Gerard went up to the officer, and removing his cap, a civility which was immediately returned, said, "'For our lady's sake, sir, what do ye with these poor folk?' "'Nay, what is that to you, my lad?' replied the functionary, suspiciously. "'Master, I am a stranger, and a thirst for knowledge. "'That is another matter. What are we doing? "'Ahem! Why we dust here, Jacques? Here is a stranger seeks to know what we are doing.' And the two machines were tickled that there should be a man who did not know something they happened to know. In all ages this has tickled. However, the chuckle was brief and moderated by the native courtesy, and the official turned to Gerard again. "'What are we doing?' Hum. And now he hesitated, not from any doubt as to what he was doing, but because he was hunting for a single word that should convey the matter. "'Ce que nous faisons, mon gars, mesdames, nous transvasons. You decant? That should mean you pour from one vessel to another. Precisely. He explained that last year the town of Charmes had been sore thinned by a pestilence, whole houses emptied, and trades short of hands. Much ado to get in the rye, and the flax half spoiled. So the bailiff and alderman had written to the duke's secretary and the duke he sent far and wide to know what town was too full. "'That we are,' had the bailey of Toul writ back. "'Then send four or five score of your townsfolk,' was the order. "'Was not this to decant the full town into the empty? And is not the good duke the father of his people, and will not let the duchy be weakened, nor its fair towns laid waste by sword nor pestilence?' but meets the one with pike and arbalest, touching his cap to the sergeant and Denis alternately, and t'other with policy. Long live the duke! The pikemen, of course, were not to be outdone in loyalty, so they shouted with stentorian lungs, Long live the duke! Then the decanted ones, partly because loyalty was a non-reasoning sentiment in those days, partly because they feared some further ill consequence should they alone be mute, raised a feeble, tremulous shout, "'Long live the Duke!' But at this, insulted nature rebelled. Perhaps, indeed, the sham sentiment drew out the real, for on the very heels of that royal noise a loud and piercing wail burst from every woman's bosom, and a deep, deep groan from every man's, 
Oh, the air filled in a moment with womanly and manly anguish. Judge what it must have been when the rude pikemen halted unbidden, all confused, as if a wall of sorrow had started up before them. En avant! roared the sergeant, and they marched again, but muttering and cursing. Ah, the ugly sound, said the civilian, wincing. Les malheureux, he said ruefully, for where is the single man can hear the sudden agony of a multitude and not be moved? Les ingrats, they are going whence they were de trop to where they will be welcome. From starvation to plenty, and they object, they even make dismal noises. One would think we are thrusting them forth from Burgundy. "'Come away,' whispered Gerard, trembling. "'Come away!' And the friends strode forward. When they passed the head of the column, and saw the men walk with their eyes bent in bitter gloom upon the ground, and the women, some carrying, some leading little children, and weeping as they went, and the poor bairns, some frolicking, some weeping because their mammies wept, Gerard tried hard to say a word of comfort, but choked and could utter nothing to the mourners, but gasped, "'Come on, Denis, I cannot mock such sorrow with little words of comfort.' And now, artist-like, all his aim was to get swiftly out of the grief he could not soothe. He almost ran, not to hear these sighs and sobs. "'Why, mate,' said Denis, "'art the colour of a lemon. "'Man alive take not other folks' troubles to heart. "'Not one of these whining milksops there, "'but would see thee a stranger hanged without winking.' "'Gerard scarce listened to him. "'Decant them,' he groaned. "'Ay, if blood were no thicker than wine, "'princes ye are wolves, poor things.' Poor things! Ah, Denis, Denis, with looking on their grief, mine own comes home to me. Well-a-day! Ah, well-a-day! Ay, now you talk reason, that you, poor lad, should be driven all the way from Holland to Rome is pitiful indeed. But these snivelling curs, where is their hurt? There is six score of them to keep one another company. Besides, they are not going out of Burgundy. Better for them if they had never been in it. Méchant, va! They are but going from one village to another, a mule's journey. Whilst thou, there no more. Courage, camarade, le diable est mort. Gerard shook his head very doubtfully but kept silence for about a mile, and then he said thoughtfully, "'Ay, Denis, but then I am sustained by book-learning. These are simple folk that likely thought their village was the world. Now what is this? More weeping? Oh, tis a sweet world! Oh, a little girl that hath broke her pipkin! Now may I hang on one of your gibbets, but I'll dry someone's tears.' and he pounced savagely upon this little martyr like a kite on a chick, but with more generous intentions. 
It was a pretty little lass of about twelve. The tears were raining down her two peaches, and her palms lifted to heaven in that utter, though temporary, desolation which attends calamity at twelve. And at her feet the fatal cause, a broken pot, worth, say, the fifth of a modern farthing. "'What? Hast broken thy pot, little one?' said Gerard acting intensest sympathy. Hilla, Belgar, as you behold! And the hands came down from the sky, and both pointed at the fragments, a statuette of adversity. And you weep so for that? Needs I must, Belgar. My mammy will massacre me. Do they not already, with a fresh burst of woe, que call me jejunette en cocasse tout? It wanted but this, that I should break my poor pot. Hela, fela-t-il donc, mère de Dieu? Courage, little love, tis not thy heart lies broken. Money will soon mend pots. See now, here is a piece of silver, and there, scarce a stone's throw off, is a potter. Take the bit of silver to him, and buy another pot and the copper the potter will give thee, keep that to play with thy comrades. The little mind took in all this, and smiles began to struggle with the tears. But spasms are like waves, they cannot go down the very moment the wind of trouble is lulled. So Denis thought well to bring up his reserve of consolation. Courage, mamie! Le diable est mort! cried that inventive warrior gaily. Gerard shrugged his shoulders at such a way of cheering a little girl. "'What a fine thing is a lute with one string,' said he. The little girl's face broke into warm sunshine. "'Oh, the good news! Oh, the good news!' she sang out with such heartfelt joy. It went off into a honeyed whine, even as our gay old tunes have a pathos underneath. So then, said she, they will no longer be able to threaten us little girls with him, making our lives a burden. And she bounded off. To tell Nanette, she said. There is a theory that everything has its counterpart. If true, Denis, it would seem, had found the mind his consigne fitted. While he was roaring with laughter at its unexpected success and Gerard's amazement, a little hand pulled his jerkin, and a little face peeped round his waist. Curiosity was now the dominant passion in that small but vivid countenance. Est-ce que toi qui l'as tué, beau soldat? Oui, mamie, said Denis, as gruffly as ever he could rightly deeming this would smack of supernatural puissance to owners of bell-like trebles. C'est moi. Ça vaut une petite embrassade, pas? Je crois bien. Hey, hey, qu'as-tu? Ça pique, ça pique. Quel dommage. Je vais la couper. Nanny, ce n'est rien. Et puisque t'as tué ce méchant, t'es fier, mon beau tout de même toi, t'es liens mieux que ma grande sœur. Will you not kiss me too? 
Mamie, said Gerard, je ne demande par mieux. Tiens, tiens, tiens. C'est dulce celle-ci. Ah, que j'aime les hommes. Des femmes, ça ne m'aurait jamais donné l'argent. Blanc, plutôt, ça m'aurait l'irionné. C'est si peu de choses, ces femmes. Serviteurs, bossir. Bon voyage, et n'oubliez point la gêne temps. Adieu, petit cœur, said Gerard, and on they marched. But presently looking back, they saw the contemner of women in the middle of the road, making them a reverence and blowing them kisses with little May-morning face. "'Come on,' cried Gerard lustily. "'I shall win to Rome yet. Holy St. Bavon, what a sunbeam of innocence hath shot across our bloodthirsty road! Forget thee, little Genetan, not likely, amidst all this slobbering and gibbeting and decanting. Come on, thou laggard, forward!' "'Dost call this marching?' remonstrated Denis. "'Why, we shall walk o'er Christmas Day and never see it.'" End of chapter 33, part 1 Recording by Tom Denham